Well, let me add my welcome. It's just a joy to see every single one of you. And uh, we're getting into the Song of Solomon today, into the text of it. We kind of had an intro sermon last week. So please open your Bibles up to that passage that was read a moment ago or your apps on your phone, whatever you're using. The Italian-American girl whispered, Kiss me. She was the young four-year-old daughter of friends of mine, and she just loved this particular game. Her favorite story was about the sleeping princess awoken by Prince Charming with a kiss. And so she would just love to put on her princess dress, and she would come into the room and she would flop on the floor. And if nobody responded, she would whisper, kiss me. (laughs) And if nobody responded to that, her cries would become ever more insistent. Kiss me! (laughs) Tom, who was only a few years older, didn't look keen to take up the offer, which caused just great amusement to everybody who watched this happen over and over. Because as you get older, even though you might long to be kissed, you realize it looks a bit desperate to beg to be kissed. Now, this opening uh, chapter, the opening 14 verses cover desire, insecurity, reassurance, and intimacy. And I had intended to preach the lot, but as I worked on my sermon this week, I got to Friday and I thought, no, we're just going to focus on the first point of desire and look at the first four verses today. As you look at the text, you see that there is no gradual introduction. We hear the innermost desires and longings of the woman. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. She knows what she wants, and she wants him, and she wants him close. Now, there are cultures which uh, mark greetings by getting up close and rubbing their noses together, but she doesn't want a nose kiss. She desires much more. She longs to be receiving the kisses of his mouth. There are different types of kisses, aren't there? I've noticed on TV that in, uh, down south in London, in, 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 in media lovey uh, circles, you kiss by the sort of little cheek tap and the little pretend mwah kiss. And if you're really extravagant, you'll do both checks, mwah, mwah. But your lips never have to touch. Or there's the type of kiss that your auntie or uncle want to give you when you're little and you dread it. But they come on, you, look at your kiss on the cheek. That's not the sort of kiss she wants. She longs for a romantic kiss, a passionate kiss. And when you fall in love with someone, that first kiss, well, it's something you don't tend to forget. I've been asking people as I've had opportunity, do you remember your first kiss? Oh, yeah. People don't forget their first kiss. I mean, it means a lot. Before, you're really flustered building up to it. And afterwards, where you're walking on air, and she wants him to kiss her and take her breath away. 
She wants his kisses and his caresses. For your love is more delightful than wine. This is a song that is throbbing with desire and longing. It is the theme of a million love songs, and you know what? They just keep writing them. Tracks keep written every day, every week. More love songs are are written and sung. There never seems to be an end of them. And here is the song in the Bible. Now, from 12-year-olds onwards, you know what this song's talking about. Uh, From puberty onwards, we find awakened in ourselves some very powerful longings and desires that God has created. At times, we struggle to know what to do with these desires. We might wish at times we could take a pill to make them disappear because how, how distracting they can be. But every person, male and female, have been created with bodies that experience such things. And it is not sinful to experience these longings and desires. This is part of God's good creation purpose. Her heart is aflame for him. And she longs to be kissed and loved by him. Now, why does she want him? Well, look at verse 3. She loves the way he smells. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Top tip, personal hygiene goes a long way. Uh, One of the columnists in the Times this past week wrote about how she was looking forward to her spouse returning to work because there might be a chance he'll shower a bit more than when he's just working from home. Some good flossing, toothbrushing, a shower, and a splash of aftershave or perfume will certainly help people to want to come closer. But it's not just the smell that's attractive. Your name is like perfume poured out, she says. No wonder the young women love you. This is love. Everyone must love you the way I love you. His name. Now that speaks of his character, which is as much a part of her attraction to him as his looks and how good he smells. His good reputation is well known. It's appreciated by others. I mean, the other women find him attractive too for that reason and it's worth noting that while physical attraction is important in a relationship if you want to build a long lasting relationship then the character of the person is ever more important let's be honest uh, outward beauty eventually fades it sags it wrinkles and the person you are on the inside will profoundly affect the sort of quality and the sort of relationship that you're going to have in the long term. Whether you're a trustworthy person, whether you are kind and brave and gentle and and joyful and thoughtful and generous, these are things that matter in the long term. Character is what counts much more important than how good you look in a selfie. And you notice her desires feel urgent. Verse 4, take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. This is the man that she wants. And she wants him to take her to be with him 
for the rest of her days. She wants to be married to him. She wants to be alone with him. She wants to enjoy intimacy together. She longs that her life will be changed forever. A new life now lived with him. Now, whether he is King Solomon or not, and the verses that follow uh, describe him as a shepherd, so probably it's not Solomon, but there's debate. Either way, to her, he is number one. He is her king. And she knows that she's going to have a totally different future if he will take her to be with him, to be his bride, to live with him uh, in his home. And she's not shy about indicating her eagerness. She doesn't want him to, she doesn't want to hang about, does she? Take me with you. Let us hurry. She desires that relationship to move forward. She's, She's not the first nor the last woman to wish that the man would just hurry up and get on with it. Now, how would you describe this woman? Is she uh, progressive or is she uh, traditional and conservative? Well, she's not timid. Uh, She's not frightened to express her desire. She's not passive. She's eager. But at the same time, it's clear that she wants him to initiate and lead. She has desires, but she wants to be desired. She wants him to kiss her. She wants him to take her away with him. She wants him to take the lead. Now, just when this starts to feel a bit intrusive uh, to us to overhear her innermost thoughts and desires. The chorus of friends, possibly even bridesmaids, they join in. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. And I think that's a way that the text is indicating to us that there's something entirely healthy and positive in these desires. There's something praiseworthy and delightful as people look on at this couple. These are good and godly desires. And we shouldn't be embarrassed to feel such things. But I'm so aware as I read these words that they speak to the most private places inside of us. And and what if we hear these words and they make us feel bitter? Or they kind of unlock deep disappointments because our desires have been left unmet or the one that we desired didn't seem to desire us or the one we treated as king deserted and discarded us. Well, I want to remind you today that this is the song of songs, the best of songs, And it's the best of songs because I think it points to something bigger than even the intimacy of human love. Every married couple, including the happily married couples, will testify that our desire for love and intimacy are not fully met through being married. There are, of course, moments where the sweetness is tasted and enjoyed, but there's a longing in our hearts that cannot be fully met 
in this world because it was not designed to be. I love the quote of C.S. Lewis who wrote this. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. These God-given desires in our hearts are designed to awaken a longing deep within us that can only be satisfied by Jesus Christ. In Augustine's confession, he wrote this, You have made us for yourself, Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. We have desires that long to be satisfied, and all around us people are desperately seeking satisfaction in places that will never satisfy. Whether that's pursuing illicit sexual pleasure, or seeking fame, or beauty, or seeking wealth, or power, or taking drugs, or getting drunk, none of these things will satisfy the deepest desire of our hearts. Only a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ will accomplish this. As the psalmist declares in Psalm 73, which I love, it's a wonderful psalm because it's so honest about his struggles as he looks at life and the, and the people who don't care about God seem to get on and the, and the righteous seem to suffer and you can read the psalm about his struggle with this. But then he comes to this point, this wonderful moment of, of declaration. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and, uh, and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is where our desires are ultimately to direct us if we want to be satisfied forever. You see, the love of Jesus is, is more delightful than wine. Uh, wine speaks of pleasure, of the good life, but the pleasure of wine is so fleeting and too much will give you a sore head and perhaps many regrets and shame. But not so the love of Jesus. To know his love, to enjoy relationship with Jesus as Lord and Savior will satisfy our deepest desire, but in a never-ending way that will never cause regret or shame. For consider his character. It is like perfume. It smells so good. I don't know if you've seen any of the new TV show called The Chosen. You can actually only watch it with an app on your phone, but if you've got one of those clever tellies, you can actually cast the the phone to the TV, but it's, it's a kind of a new show about Jesus, the life of Jesus. So you can actually binge Jesus. There's series one has been done, they're into series two now, and I just love this show. Uh, it's brilliantly done, it's a creative retelling of the story of Jesus. It brings together lots of different bits of the Bible. It does invent dialogue, uh, but it, what it does is it creates very real characters but what strikes me as I watch it is how amazing Jesus is his compassion 
his love for people, for, the, for people in the most extreme circumstances, his compassion for the outcast, for those who in great suffering of mind and body. And to see his love and care for the disciples who are brilliantly portrayed as being numpties, it just touches me emotionally. I must be getting very sappy in my old age, but it's very rarely a show where I'm not tearing up at the end of each episode. Because Jesus is so amazing. Now, the character that plays Jesus, Jonathan Rumi, I've listened to some um, interviews with him about how on earth do you do this? I mean, what an impossible task. How do you get to play? How do you play Jesus? And he talks about the fact that he and uh, Dallas Jenkins, who's kind of part one of the authors and directors and producers, they often they pray together before the scene, seek God's help to do this. Um, and then he tries to get himself into a mindset before the, the scene starts a recording to try and direct his hearts and thoughts to being the most loving person he can be and the, the most kindest person he can be and the most compassionate and the most present and the most engaged he can be with each of the people. And then he does the scene. And, you know, he really says, look, and I... I fall short. But here's the amazing thing about the real Jesus. He is not deficient. In him there is no sin. There is no evil. He is the very definition of love. He is patient. He is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. He does not delight in evil, but he rejoices with the truth. He always trusts. He always hopes. He always perseveres. He never fails. That's that wonderful list of what love is from 1 Corinthians 13, and it's Jesus. He smells so good, better than perfume. Now, we might find this talk of spiritual intimacy, of this love with Jesus as something unusual, especially as men, to be reading these verses and to be identifying uh, with the voice of the woman here. But I want to invite the men to do that. As you read this book, I want you to Think about this important metaphor that the Bible gives us to know how much he loves us. And actually, the sort of love he's looking in return is not kind of a, yes, I really enjoy inductive Bible studies, but a real engagement with the person of Jesus. To have a friend of the character and the glory of of Jesus is no small thing, is it? The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, to have him as your friend is the highest privilege. To truly know him and to be deeply loved by him is the most glorious thing possible. And when you see the glory and the character and the beauty of Jesus, this does create a crazy sort of love that is willing to give up everything to have him. 
Let me remind you what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a treasure hidden in the field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he sold everything he had to buy the field and have the treasure. That's crazy romantic love, isn't it? That's a crazy romantic gesture. Give up everything for the treasure. Or it's like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away. He sold everything he had and he bought it. Look, the pearl of great price. That's, that's crazy romantic love, isn't it? To give up everything, to have this one thing. And here's, here's the thing about the kingdom of God. The one thing to have in the kingdom of God is the king of that kingdom. It is to have Jesus Christ. He's the pearl beyond price. He's the greatest treasure. And he is the one who did take the initiative to bring us into this sort of relationship with him. The Prince of Glory entering into our world, taking on human flesh in order to rescue people whom he chose to love. He chose to love and, and he wanted to unite his life with his people so that we would be in an everlasting relationship with him that will truly satisfy our souls for all eternity. How can we ever doubt the love of God when we see the Lord Jesus in his death upon the cross? My sin upon his shoulders. What love. What amazing divine love. Earth has nothing that we can desire that compare to the matchless love of God in Christ. As Julian Hardiman puts it in the book I recommended last week, um, Jesus, Love of My Soul, he, writes in, he puts it this way. If you have Christ's love and don't have the relationship of intimacy, married or otherwise, in this life, you still have infinitely more than someone who is happily married with children and lots of friends, infinitely more. And if you are married and or have children and lots of friends, Christ is infinitely more precious and beautiful than any of them good though those relationships are. Do you see, God has given us desires to lead us to Christ. And so, my, my Christian friends, let me encourage you. Jesus has united his life with our life. And we are forever changed. Our past is transformed from shame and guilt to forgiveness and freedom. Our present is transformed from separation and enmity to intimacy and peace with God. Uh, it's changed from futility and despair to a purpose and a delight, from, from loneliness to, to, a, to a loving family. And our future is transformed from hell to heaven, from uncertainty 
to confidence. All because of Jesus. And so the church in every age has the same prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. Hurry. Take us away with you. We long to be the spotless bride. We, we long to be at the wedding feast. We long to see him face to face. And if you're not a Christian listening to all of this, and you know that all the different attempts to see your desires fulfilled have actually ended up with frustration and being unfulfilled, can I suggest to you that you make your desires known to God? Could you dare to pray to him today and ask him, kiss me, take my breath away, that God would reveal his love for you in Jesus Christ, that he would take you and transform your life forever? Jesus has a love for you and a compassion for you that is beyond your imagination what compassion he has for you, what pure love. And if you invite him, he will enter your trembling heart and he will save you. So ask him.